Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back for our final episode with Charlie Hunter, and uh, as I'm joined this week with Joe Gore. Hi, yeah, man, we've been having fun this week. I could listen to Charlie talk all day. And he was definitely on the short list of people I wanted to get on the podcast when we when we kicked this off. And this topic specifically was one I was interested in, because I, I mentioned the episode of seeing him at this jazz festival in Iowa and, and seeing him kind of command a crowd with this, what looked like at the time, a tambourine. And in the episode, you'll hear Charlie rightfully... Uh, correct me, but the focus of this episode is going to be the value of learning to play some simple drum beats and some simple drum moves, uh, even though you might not aspire to be or even want to uh, call yourself a drummer, let's say. And uh, my co-host Jason here also put in years studying drums, and uh, the two guys have some really compelling arguments for why you should do it, and as the one, uh, as the dunce in the group who doesn't play drums, um, it sort of made me want to, you know, go out and get a little kit and start practicing. It is, and you you just find, like, to me, I just found myself so connected in to not only kind of a, internalizing rhythm de- in a deeper way because you're using your whole body, but also being able to understand where in the measure you are at the moment uh, without getting, it helps me not get lost in forms because at the time I was doing a lot of jazz drumming because I was studying a jazz degree and without chord changes to kind of solidify your mental map of this tune on, it's easy to kind of, for me it was easy to just get really lost on the drums and being able to think and feel in four, eight or 12 bar, 16 bar phrases, at least when you're beginning, was such a help to me when I was, when I went back to guitar, even bass or piano at the time when I was playing and be able to really wrap your head around rhythmically what some of these song forms are. Yeah, and Charlie's got got a real interesting case study here because um, uh, if you heard Monday's uh, podcast and we talked a little about his soon-to-be album, which uh, Jason and I were privileged to hear a couple tracks from, uh, you know, uh, just today, um, uh, he's the percussionist on this album. It's it's a COVID-era album where he's at home playing everything himself, which... I didn't know when I listened to it. Yeah. I was like, damn, who are your percussionists? I think he purposely didn't give us any information. He just said, here's what I'm working on. Check it out. We'll talk later. You know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating and very cool record, but we'll let uh, Charlie tell you about yeah. it. Yeah. So we're going to wrap up this week with Charlie. Uh, make sure to go to charliehunter.com. Check out all of his stuff. Uh, and, and also keep an eye out for uh, this upcoming record of Charlie Patton tunes. And you can hit us up at chasingfrets at premierguitar.com. So without any more, we'll uh, we'll dive right into our last conversation here with Charlie Hunter. 
All right, Charlie. So today we're going to talk about why everybody should learn drums. And not so much to be a drummer, but just to have kind of the rhythmic independence. And this brought back a memory, and you probably maybe remember this as well. You were playing, I believe it was with, with your quintet, Iowa City Jazz Festival, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. And you played your set and you came out for the encore. And I was kind of a know-nothing teenager at the time. And you come out with what looks like a tambourine. And it's just you. And you start playing this tambourine on stage. And the whole crowd starts going crazy. <laughs> whole crowd goes crazy. I'm like, oh, man, this guy just played this great set with these horn players and the whole deal. And then he comes back out for the encore just with a tambourine. And I, I'm going to stop at the music store and get one on my way home. <laughs> basically, I was like, what? And it, that kind of sunk into me. And later, even more so in grad school, when I did take drum lessons, is how infectious rhythm can be. And I think maybe even more so than the, than the other two big elements of music, harmony, and melody, rhythm can be so infectious. Y yeah, I mean, agreed. Um, so that instrument is a pandero, which is kind of like the, one of the national instruments of Brazil, and it's fucking hard as hell to play. Um, but, uh, but I agree with you, and I also think that a big part of, you know... Just uh, it, it's it's the foundation, of, honestly, of everything. For for me personally, if it doesn't hit me rhythmically, even if it's an a cappella group or you know a, just an instrumental group without any percussion, and if it doesn't hit me rhythmically, I have a really hard time tuning in because it doesn't have to me that foundational kind of soulful thing that that has that. That narrative. That's what to me the rhythm is where all the narrative lives. That's where it all lives. And if you and, and if it doesn't have that, I have a really hard time following the narrative. And that's not to say um, if something it, it doesn't have to be really overtly rhythmic to have that. You know, you look at something like the Art Ensemble of Chicago, where there's a lot of real open stuff. It still has that narrative. You listen to somebody like Paul Motion, who on the on the uh, you know, the surface, it seems like, oh, he's playing really broken up and he's doing this and that. But no, what he's playing is so grooving because the underlying foundation that he's using to, to develop all of those ideas is so grooving as well. So can you tell me a little about when you first started to play drums? Was this something you stumbled on as a teenager or were you was it when you were an adult later in life? Well, I mean, I started playing drums actually. Um, and it was just we... We that we lived in you know a funky little neighborhood and we were too close to the neighbors and the walls were paper thin so the drum thing didn't last too long. Um, but I did play a lot of drums when I was younger and also when you grow up in a place like Berkeley, California, everybody played drums. Everybody knew how to play a simple beat at least and some much more than that. Um, so you just be hanging out at people's houses playing drums, you know. Um, so I've always tried to play a little bit but you know when i was really delving deeply into trying to get this guitar technique together i i just felt like i only had time to do that you know but like i i needed to dig a lot deeper into the uh, not just the the counterpoint but also the 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 groove and the nuance and the, i just had to really get that a lot stronger as the one dumbbell in this conversation who doesn't play drums I'd like to ask both of you the obvious question. I mean, what is that? How does that uh, enrich what you do as a guitar player? Jason? 
Uh, for me, it was, I was kind of forced into it. I always admired drums, but in grad school, part of my degree was that I had to be proficient on not only guitar, but piano, bass, and drums as well. So my first teacher started me just like on snare stuff, just simply with the snare. And that, it was okay for some basic sticks, stick control or whatever. But to me, the sooner I could get on the kit, the better. And when, to me, I always kind of described it as, well, I'm better on guitar, but I have more fun on drums. Like getting a good beat together on drums is one of the most musically fun things I have ever done in my life. And what that helped me do, because I, I didn't grow up as a fingerstyle guitar player, is it helped me compartmentalize my musical brain. And it and allowed me to put different ideas on autopilot while I focused on other things, whether it's the, the simple jazz ride cymbal pattern. You know, there's one exercise I had where I would just have a simple hi-hat on two and four and a swing ride pattern, and then he would throw a, a syncopated rhythm, and I'd have to practice that between my foot, between my right foot and my left hand on the snare. And it's those type of things that when I took it back to guitar, I was able to use those same mental muscles, whether it could be thinking of something melodically or rhythmically, but and it also just grounded me musically into feeling the beat in a deep, deeper way. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is is really the same. I got to say, I love that they made you do that in your school, actually. I think that's, that's pretty cool, and I think it's also pretty unusual, right? Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that a yeah. music ed program, Jason? No, it was uh, University of Northern Iowa has a jazz pedagogy program. And they're training jazz teachers, or, t- or really music teachers in general, because a lot of what we covered was, uh, there was some specialized stuff, but a lot of it was was, was general in nature as well. And, I mean, it, it took years off my life doing, like, juries on all four instruments and lessons on all four instruments at a graduate college level. <laughs> um, but... I still look super fondly back on on those drum lessons, and it was some of the best musical lessons I've had in my life because the the baggage of, okay, I'm in grad school, I've been playing this instrument for X amount of years, like with guitar, that baggage is kind of taken away. You, you're, you're approaching this instrument with a more of a beginner mind, and it frees you up, frees your headspace up to really focus on just what you need to do to make music and not get tied up saying oh, because I've had XYZ experience, I need to be this proficient. You know, it takes that away, and it makes it just way more fun. Way yeah, when, more fun. I, when I was in music grad school, not only did I not play drums, I didn't play guitar for two years. What did you do? It's composition. Oh, okay. Piano, sitting at the piano all day. Yeah, um, but, but you know, from, ha- from having known you all those years, that totally makes sense, and it totally makes sense the way that you play guitar and also the kind of stuff that you brought to P.J. Harvey and Tom Waits and those kinds of things, you know, that you did. I feel like if you didn't have that background in that kind of heavy composition, you weren't going to have that subtext in your playing. Well, it's weird because, you know, I mean, I'm older than you guys, so I, I basically dropped out of a Ph.D. program because punk and post-punk were happening, and I just wanted to play really simple, aggressive music. And I was also really influenced by some of the, you know, the, the amazing African music scene that existed in the East Bay where you grew up back, back. Absolutely. And, and it felt like a 180 yeah. degree reversal. But as you get older, you realize, no, it really wasn't. You, you know, you, car- you carry 
you carry your pest with you whether you want to or not. It's very true. It's all convergent to everything. There's always some way to use a tool to adapt it to some new circumstances, you know. And I love, like, over the last couple of years, it, it seems like on Instagram, Charlie, you you post these occasional, like, dad grooves, I think you call them. Just short little videos of you, of you playing drums. I, I've missed this. Explain. Just playing a little drum groove or something like that. Just to keep the folks keep the folks entertained. You mentioned earlier this week that you're now playing drums in an organ trio. So what's that experience been like for you? That you have an yeah. actual kind of ensemble that you're putting these rhythmic ideas to work in. Man, it's it's so fun because I do practice all the time and play all the time. And I've actually, in addition to that, I've been making a record with a, a guy here named Darren who's this great, I like to call him like a hip-hop singer-songwriter. He's so damn good and so fast. The guy can write like five minutes worth of lyrics in ten minutes, you know, and they're damn good. He does, you know, MIDI stuff and then sends me that, that and then I'll play the drums and bass and guitar and percussion and whatnot too. We're making these great songs and we even have sync and placement people that want want the music, so it's great. But the long story short is I've been playing a lot of drums and uh, when this guy Sam Frybush came up here from New Orleans, kind of like a COVID evacuee, great young organist, um, you know, we just started playing together and really kind of hit it off. And so, you know, this might really been just an absolute blast. And I've even been doing some kind of socially distanced gigs around town. Um, and some of the people don't like know that I'm I'm just not on their radar as a guitar player or anything. I'm just a guy that lives here that can kind of play a good groove and isn't going to really get in the way on the drums, you know? So I've been doing some of those gigs. And and honestly, though, I, I've always loved playing the drums and I've been lucky enough to play with some of the world's greatest drummers. So I get all these lessons for, you know, 30 years of lessons from these great musicians. And I feel like it'd be a damn shame to waste that, you know? Who are some of the most inspiring drummers you've had the opportunity to play with? I mean... Everyone I played with, honestly, because, you know, you wouldn't be inspiring if you didn't bust your ass and didn't make all of the sacrifices and didn't have all of the um, inspiration to make it to this point, you know. Um, And really, the inspiring thing is just trying to find a middle ground where we can make the most music, you know. And everyone has a special thing, and when you play with them, it's always going to be a kind of a special uh, blend, you know what I mean? But playing with older uh, people that are from the generation above me, that is incredible. I mean, I had a chance to play some gigs with Idris Muhammad, uh, which I'll never forget that. And, you know, Mike Clark is a good friend, and he's kind of brought me up and kicked my ass, you know, every possible way for the last 20 or so, 25 years. Uh, played a bunch with Bernard Purdy, played with, um, even played a little tiny bit with Ed Thigpen many years ago when we were in, um, we were in wow. Copenhagen. We hung out with him for a day and, and uh, that was incredible. But, you know, the, the older generation, it, I just feel like I learned so much. And of course, Bobby Previtt is someone that I play with a lot. And, and other than, in addition to being an incredible drummer who really I feel like can play anything with his own personal style, he's also an incredible composer and improviser and conceptualist, you know. So 
so many things, you know, and then relationships you have with people for years, like Scott Amendola and I play all, we've played together for 25, 26 years, and, you know, there'll be a couple years we don't play together, and then we play together again, and we always kind of pick up where we left off, you know. Yeah. I used to be in a band with Scott, and he's a he's a amazing musician. Yep, no doubt. Last time you came through town, when me and my son came out, and saw you play, you were telling us, like, Jason, I think I made one of the funkiest records I've ever made. And it was that Rob Dixon album oh, with you yeah. and Mike. And talk, I mean, when you talk about inspiring drummers, Woo. man, yeah, Mike Clark is way Yeah, and when, there. you know, he's, when you, because we have a kind of special relationship, but, you know, I'll just tell him, Mike, we're making Rob's record, and it's not a jazz, quote-unquote, jazz record. It's You're going to take the front head off the bass drum, put a pillow in it, going to play some Oakland, old Oakland-style stuff, which he pretty much invented or was one of the inventors of, and some shuffles, and, and um, we're just going to groove our balls off, you know, and, and that's the kind of record that that was. This is, I mean, maybe a quick, you know, like a little geography reference for, for you know, folks who don't know the San Francisco Bay Area. You've got San Francisco on the peninsula and across the, across the Bay Bridge, you've got uh, Berkeley and Oakland right next to each other, and it's more working class, it's funkier, it's 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 kind of an open secret that the, the a lot of the you know best San Francisco bands are in fact Oakland bands, and um, you know when you were talking before about everybody drumming in Berkeley, um, you're not necessarily talking just hippie drum circle. I mean, there's just an, there was an amazing amount of funky players in 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 the various music communities there. There's this thriving Latin music scene. There at least used to be a lot of West African expats, including some big stars playing there. And it's the tradition of, you know, Tower of Power and the Pointer yeah. Sisters. And it just it just goes on and on. So East Bay, when you talk about the East Bay feel, it is something really It, re- it really is. And like what Joe was saying about us, we had this asshole attitude in the East Bay, of course. like Because, you know, we were just like, uh, you know, you had your freak, freaky political hippies and, and 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 all the people that didn't fit in anywhere else lived in Berkeley and some in Oakland. And then in Oakland, you had this real blue-collar African-American, Latino, Asian thing going on there as well. Uh, and we just had, like, we had a chip on our shoulder because San Francisco was, San Francisco was like high society. At the, you know, I mean, that was the, that was the, the where all of the, the big ideas happened, you know, but... Yeah, well, nowadays Oakland is high society yeah. too, but no, but that's a that's a that's a real dynamic. You know, it's a real dynamic. You know, San Francisco is the financial city. It had all the cultural associations, and but uh, uh, across across the bay was where a, where a lot of the real stuff. Yeah, happened. I mean, real and, stuff. Uh, but we we lo- we lo- we definitely like to think so. But you know, most of the the gigs, uh, they're not all of them, but a lot of the good money gigs were in San Francisco. So. Our whole attitude was, yeah, let's go over to San Francisco and take some money, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which really is bullshit because there were so many great San Francisco musicians as well. All right. So to wrap up this uh, episode in this week, Charlie, thanks again for for joining us. What uh, if somebody wants to get into drums, get into drumming, they're inspired by your dad grooves on Instagram. What are some places? (laughs) I wouldn't be inspired by that. (laughs) Uh, where are some places you can point them to kind of learn the basic grooves that you need to just function as a drummer? I mean, I don't know. I, I would just say it's everywhere they are. You just go on YouTube, go on YouTube and you'll find it. You know, I mean, get, get yourself a little drum kit, like get a pie hat and a kick drum and a snare drum and just try to put some beats together. Even get a ride cymbal. Don't even worry about your left foot. You know, just try to put some beats together. 
And don't worry about it if you sound sad. We all sound sad. One one last thing before you go, Charlie. Um, on Monday, we talked a little bit about your new record. And for anyone who didn't hear the Monday broadcast, though you should, because Charlie was brilliant, um, tell us about the upcoming release. It's really a remarkable recording, or at least the half that, we've, that, that Jason and I have heard is. Um, Thank you, guys. It's... Um, it's called uh, Patton in Percussion, and it's a bunch of Charlie Patton tunes that I I played percussion, you know, obviously to a click and put a bunch of different percussion beds down depending upon the song. And then I played my hybrid uh, big six instrument on top of that. Uh, and it was, I mean, it's just how I've spent my, uh, the last, you know, two months or so learning how to record myself and trying to make a record, you know. And when do you think it'll be out? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure, uh, probably a couple months, maybe I just got to get the mixes finished and then get it mastered and then figure out what to do next with it. You know, it's a, it's a very beautiful, very unique record. Um, we just couldn't, couldn't recommend it more highly. It's beautiful stuff. You should check it out. Well, thanks again, Charlie, for joining us this week. Dudes. And it was so good to, to spend some time and, and hang with you. And Always a pleasure, old friend. Likewise. Thank you guys for doing it. It was my pleasure. Bye.